Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Drinks with Allie podcast, where we're talking everything from red, red wine to pina coladas. My name is Allie, and as always, I'll be your host today. This is episode 36, and it is Monday, March 15th, making today a mixed drink Monday. Can you believe we're nearly through the first quarter of the year? Like, it is halfway through March already. We're nearly three months in. This is bananas. Also, it is really cold here today. It's currently minus 11 degrees Celsius, so Canadian. Last week on Friday, it was plus 11 degrees. So cold. Anyways, today we are also two days to St. Patrick's Day. So for today's episode, we're going to talk all about Irish whiskey, and at the end, the recipe for a whiskey sour. So let's jump on in. Alrighty. Irish whiskey is actually one of the earliest distilled drinks in Europe. We see the rise of whiskey happen around the 12th century, but it's thought that monks brought the technique of distillation back to Ireland as early as 1080. So remember, up until very recently, sometime in the late 17, early 1800s, all alcohol production was actually done by various monastic Um, orders. They were the only ones who had the education, land, and tools available to them, as well as the time to make wine or distill or create beer. So um, they really are key in creating all of the alcoholic beverages that we know now, which is a little funny when you think about most monastic societies of today, who for a lot of part are sober societies. Anyways, At this point, so in around 1000 AD, distillation was mostly for perfume making, and the monks likely picked up the technique while traveling in southern Europe. The monks then modified the technology in order to make alcohol and to make it stronger. But for you guys, we likely wouldn't recognize what they called quote-unquote whiskey as whiskey. In fact, it happened to have far more in common with gin than modern whiskey since it wasn't aged and was often flavored with aromatic herbs. Things like mint and thyme and anise. I did also see a few uh, that mentioned moss and heathers and peats, so all kinds of wild herbs going into there. Um, Also, records of whiskey production are incredibly hard to come by in Ireland since traditionally... Um, Irish record keeping was oral rather than written. The first written record of whiskey or aquavita, or even more traditionally, usabetha in Gaelic, pardon my Gaelic, I'm sure that was not the most correct pronounce, pronunciation, was in 1405 in the annals of Clon Macnois when it is written that the head of a clan died after a quote, taking a surfeit of aquavita, which basically means an excessive amount, which has to be a whole lot of alcohol if he managed to die from it. Though it doesn't say if he was drunk and then fell down and hit his head or anything like that. So you never know. We also know that the first mention of Scotch distillation, or Scottish distillation, comes in 1494. So the Irish were about... 90 years earlier, for writing it down. 
For sure, though, we know that by 1556, the, that distillation was widespread, much like gin during the gin craze. In fact, the British Parliament passed an act declaring whiskey all but illegal, except for, quote, peers, gentlemen, and freemen of larger towns. So these were the only men, of course, who were allowed to distill um, without a license. And I believe you actually have to get a license in order to not have to need the license. Um, It's very unclear as to how the act was completely written. But since the crown had little control beyond the pale, which was the fortified area around Dublin, it really meant nothing at all to the Irish people. And they just kept drinking. So in 1608, King James I um, grants... Okay, so hang on, before we go there, we're moving back up. So um, then the crown just gets smart and says, okay, so if these guys are going to drink anyways, they're going to distill anyways, we're going to make it legal, we're just going to tax it. And we're going to get the tax revenue, and that'll reduce the number of people that are trying to distill, but also create revenue for the crown. Smart idea. This is where we see um, scotch distillation has the same thing happen, gin distillation has the same thing happen, and so on and so forth. It's really kind of standard um, for most of the parliament types to do this. All right, anyways, back to our story. In 1608, King James I grants a distilling license to Sir Thomas Philip, a landowner in Bushmills, giving Old Bushmills Distillery the claim to the oldest surviving grant of license to distill in the entire freaking world, like the oldest in the whole world. But they weren't registered until 1784, allowing the Kilbaggan Distillery, which was formerly Locks, to hold the title of oldest licensed distillery in Ireland. They got their license in 1757, so about 25 years earlier. Kilbegan um, is also thought to have the oldest operational copper pot still at 250-ish years old. So they still use one still. She's really old. She's 250 years old. But because she's copper, you can do that, and they take care of themselves. So there's a whole bunch of intervening years in between the 1608 and kind of moving forward. And still lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of illegal distilling happens until 1823, when a bunch more reforms are put in, and that's when we start to see the real decline in home distilling. So that's when we're taxing whiskey, it's cheaper to buy it from a big company, so we're just going to not make it at home. And within 10 years, there are 93 legal distilleries that open up. So by 1833, there's 93 legal distilleries in Ireland, all making great whiskeys. Despite this apparent heyday, beginning in the early 1900s, the whiskey industry very nearly dies, like almost completely. So you have a few factors. You have the potato famine, 
Uh, you have the war for independence from Britain. You have the first world war. You have prohibition. You have the second world war. Um, so there just wasn't enough people around and there wasn't enough um, excess grain going around in order to be able to make whiskey, which is really shocking because at one point Irish whiskey was one of the number one exports in the British Isles. So quite literally until 1987 with the establishment of Cooley Distillery, there was two distilleries left. So remember we went from 93 to two. There was New Middleton Distillery, who we know for Jameson's and Old Bushmills, um, which, oh, sorry, Old Middleton Distillery, which is known for Jameson's. And then there was Old Bushmills, which is known for Bushmills Irish whiskey. Ironically, they were both owned by the same company called Irish Distillers. So, um, they were the two main companies, and then they were owned by the same people, which is kind of weird. Anyways, nowadays, the numbers are easily in the 40s, with far more of them planned. Of these 40, names we will definitely know include Jameson's. Um, and if you've never had Jameson's outside of having, having it as a shot, it's actually quite tasty if you sip on it. There's Tullamore Dew, Teeling, Writer's Tears, um, Glendago, maybe I'm saying that right, maybe not. Anyways, it's spelled G-L-E-N-D-A-L-O-U-G-H. And they also make these really awesome gins, which are kind of rare to find here. Um, there's Redbreast, and of course there's what we'll call the Spots. So there's Red Spot, Green Spot, and Blue Spot. And they're all made by a single distillery, and they're all quite excellent. Now, what makes Irish whiskey so special? For starters, Irish whiskey is triple distilled versus scotch and most other kinds of whiskey, which are double distilled. This results in a smoother, lighter, and slightly higher in alcohol spirit. The, still, the distillers use a combination of both malted and unmalted barley, and the grains are kiln-dried versus dried over peat smoke, giving the whiskey a more true-to-the-grain taste. So peat smoke is what gives scotch its smoky note to it. Um, and when where these are being kiln-dried, it's a little bit of a true grain taste in your whiskey. There are also four styles of whiskey. There's single malt, so just like scalt, scotch, just malted barley from a single distillery. There's single pot whiskey, which is a blend of malted and unmalted grains from a single distillery. So originally a distillery would only have one pot still, so that's where a single pot comes from. There's grain whiskey, which is made with a continuous column still and is generally used for blending into um, other whiskeys in order to increase the alcohol. And then finally, there's blended whiskey, which is any and all of the above potentially combined into one. So it can be single malt, it can be single pot, it can be grain whiskey, can be blends. They don't blend 
as much between distilleries as, say, Scottish whiskeys do. They tend to just blend styles in Ireland. Alrighty. So, some distilleries you might know. For blends, there's Jameson's, Telemardew, and Kilbaggan. For single pot, there's the Spots, and Redbreast, single malt, sound more your style. So you can try Tyconnell, spelled T-Y-R-C-O-N-N-E-L-L, Bushmills or Connemara repeated malt. And for single grain, um, Kilbaggan and Teeling both make a single grain malt whiskey. Or, yeah, I think it's, that's how they're listed on their label. Alrighty. Now for the exciting part of the show. The cocktail time. Alright, the whiskey sour. This his, the history of this cocktail is incredibly long, and the whiskey has to, sour has to be an OG in the cocktail world. So it is an original style of cocktail. Its history extends as far back as the Lincoln administration and first appears in print in 16, 1862. Sorry guys, a little bit of dyslexia this morning. So 1862, in Jerry Thomas's Bartender's Guide. It's a really old book. And multiple printings have been made and updated since then. But it first appears in the original, original, originally. So, it is old. Like, really old. And again, we have no idea invented this cocktail because apparently we either didn't care back then or we couldn't be bothered to write things down and put our names to them. Um, so, traditionally, a whiskey sour has egg white in it. Don't be freaked out about this. Remember that when we add alcohol to the egg white, the alcohol kills anything that could happen and make you sick in it. So don't worry about it. Now, lots of places make their sours without the egg whites, but they lose some of their appealing silky texture in nature. And personally, I substitute an equal measure of aquafaba or chickpea juice. If you're buying it in the can, you just strain off the juice or you can soak them overnight to get the same texture. All right, on to the recipe. This is a really important part, right? So we're going to grab our shaker and we're going to add two ounces of whiskey, three quarters of an ounce of lemon juice, preferably fresh squeezed. We all know that by now. Half an ounce of simple syrup and half an ounce of egg white or aquafaba. So if you're using fresh egg white, just crack an egg and, um, split the white from the yolk and do it right into your shaker. It's the easiest way to do it. And also do that first in case you drop any shell or anything into your shaker tin by accident. If you want, you can use like the pasteurized egg white cartons. They're just fine. I've used them a ton. It's a little bit more shelf stable. It's a little less scary to use those as well because you don't have to worry about the shells or anything falling in there. So then we will first dry shake our cocktail, so without ice, you can shake it a little bit, and then we will wet shake. So we're going to add ice to it and shake it. Then there is some debate as to whether or not you should wet shake or dry shake first. Um, some people say wet then dry. Some people say dry then wet. It doesn't really matter. Pick one and stick to it is the best way to do it. I like to dry shake then wet shake. Once we've shaken both ways, though, in whatever order you choose, 
Uh, then we want to double strain into a chilled cocktail glass. So we're going to strain out of our, our shaker and through a fine mesh strainer, just in case there's any chunks of anything left in there. You should have at the end a nice layer of white foam on the top of the glass. At this point, you will want to garnish with three or four drops of Angostura bitters and then run a toothpick through the bitters to make kind of a swirly heart pattern. Very uh, latte art-esque. And then you're done. You just get to enjoy. So with that, guys, we will wrap up another episode of the podcast. I love, love to know what your favorite Irish whiskey is or your favorite way to enjoy it. Whether you enjoy it in a cocktail, neat, on the rocks, in an Irish coffee, let me know. You can contact me in a few ways. You can send me an email directly to drinkswithally at gmail.com. You can head on over to the website and you can either leave a comment on episode 36's page right down there at the bottom, or you can hit contact and you can send me a question, comment, or concern right there through the website. Or if you want to connect on social media, I'm on most of the platforms. They are all at Drinks with Allie. So that's Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, MeWe, Pinterest, TikTok, and Spotify. So with that, guys, fill your glass with something tasty. Enjoy the start of your week. Cheers, everyone.